live from the rubble of the Mundangerous Pillow Fort. You are popping a lot. Pillow Fort was very... Alright, let me just get 10 seconds of silence. Let me get 10 seconds of silence, for sake. from the rubble of the Mundangerous Pillow Fort in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 113 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on campaign settings and talking about Eclipse Phase. But first, the rogue traders get berated by their underling in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the Gatecrasher makes a break for it in the Character Creation Forge. So I don't know if you can tell yet, but our audio is going to sound a little bit different because I have moved, and with it has moved Mundangerous Studios, aka my kitchen table, and we're in a new room with a new setup, and I'm currently holding my microphone for an hour as we record this. Also your pop filter. And my pop filter, yeah, because <laughs> I I used to have an arm mount <laughs> that, that connected to our countertop, and there's no countertop near me anymore. I, however, brought my mic stand, so... I don't know. I'm sitting pretty. Yeah. And there's a little more traffic noise. I'm not sure how much of that's going to be captured in the back. So bear with us for a couple weeks while we get all this stuff sorted out. But we'll get back to our normal audio quality pretty quick. Such as it was. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Our near professional amateur, (laughs) highly enhanced by audition. All right. So this is basically your last opportunity to get in on the Patreon contest that we're running. Anyone who is one of our patrons as of September 30th will be entered in a drawing to win one of two prizes. Yeah, the first is the Pathfinder Pocket Edition Starter Pack, which is the uh, core rules book, which is everything you need for players, and then also the Bestiary, which is the Monster Manual. And the other is the Curse of the Crimson Throne Adventure Path, which, believe us, is really nice and we were going to keep ourselves, but we're going to give it away. Right. Because we're generous. And we will uh, make the drawing in October and announce the winners on the show. Also, October is almost here. So send us your RPG horror stories because we are compiling those and we will do an episode where we read them and I guess weep, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder what day that'll fall on. (laughs) We'll share a few of ours as well because we have a lot of them. We've been bad at tables. Got a few. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We will also be at a couple of conventions coming up in November. First, I will be at a Catacomb. That's November 10th through 12th, I think, in Dayton, Ohio. That's hosted by the RPG Academy. I will be playing and running games and hanging out and drinking beer and all the usual things. And we will both be at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia, November 17th through 19th. We hope to be presenting some panels, but even if we don't, we'll be doing some events with Going Last and uh, we'll be there with, uh, I think, our entire gaming group. Mm-hmm. So you can see what we deal with every week. Yeah, that'll be an interesting <laughs> experience. <laughs> Hanging out that much. <laughs> All right. Speaking of um, people who embarrass you, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the rogue traders are on the feudal world of Gontelgrim. The crew of the His Enduring Light have become heroes for defeating an orc war boss and ending a years-long fight for survival. 
And they've also been accused of heresy by a Imperial Guard commissar named Herc. Not without some just cause. <laughs> right. They they made some unbelievable claims that are a little bit sketchy. Well, a lot of bit sketchy because now that we have ostensibly proven that the rogue traders of the His Enduring Light are not heretics, we now must prove that we are, in fact, the rogue traders of the His Enduring Light. Uh, and to do that, Commissar Herc wants to see your uh, warrant of trade brought to him by your rogue trader, Captain Elias Lionheart. Hey, no problem, because we're actually rogue traders, and we actually work for Elias Lionheart, and he actually has a warrant of trade. Mm -hmm. But he's a moron. He is a complete <laughs> moron, and he will almost certainly find some way to make your lives worse as a result of this. All right, so since we don't actually want to present Lionheart to anyone, because he's a huge embarrassment and will definitely get us all killed. Right. Uh, we decided to lie more. Uh, just a little lie. A tiny bit. We dress up the leader of our honor guard, Corporal Carlos, in luxurious hand-me-downs. You know, threadbare in some places, but they used to be nice. Right. <laughs> they were your nicest clothes. <laughs> uh, we polish up his entire squad's armor and pretend that he is Lord Captain Elias Lionheart. And Carlos is not good at this. This is He's a soldier, not a rogue trader. So he falls into his usual skill set as a soldier, which is being a jerk to his underlings. Yeah, I mean, we basically told him, hey, act like a rogue trader. And he was like, oh, I know exactly how to do that. Right. So he arrives <laughs> planet side and just immediately chews out Draco for general incompetence, for losing his armsmen, and for the inconvenience of making him come down here. It's really difficult for Draco not to shoot him in the face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he does produce the warrant of trade, which is all we really need to get out of this alive. Yeah. And that and a, a good hard sell from the party that, you know, this ragtag crew is in fact the rogue traders that their warrant of trade claims them to be. Right. And Brian not rolling double zeros again. That would help. <laughs> <laughs> so we get Carlos to shut up and remarkably Herc buys the whole thing yeah he apologizes he ha he even commends you to your lord captain for your uh and i quote heroism and bravery in the defense and reclamation of gauntlegrim from the native orc threat all right now finally finally we can stop shooting things and we can start making some money and we'll find out how that goes for you next week so this week, we are continuing our series on different campaign settings that you can play your game in. Uh, the point of these is to give you a, sort of a quick rundown so that you and your gaming group can decide whether this particular setting is one that you might want to play a game in. And this week, we're talking about Eclipse Phase. Yeah, so I know this is one of your favorite settings. What? It is one of the most intimidating settings for me because, one, there's a lot of setting material, and two, the rules are nearly impenetrable. Fair. Uh, which means I have never engaged with it <laughs> more than I had to to make my joke of a character. <laughs> so what's the elevator pitch for Eclipse Phase? So it's a post-apocalyptic setting that takes place in the near future of the real world. At this point consciousness has been digitized memories are just data files bodies are hardware and death exists as just a temporary setback so you can upgrade your current body like you would might trick out a car these days you could play as an uplifted dolphin you could be a swarm of nanites and you might end up fighting copies of yourself and then 
are you the copy? <laughs> I think this is one of the first settings we've done that isn't just a setting, but is also a standalone game mm-hmm. that has its own rules. Uh, but of course, you don't have to play Eclipse Phase with the Eclipse Phase rules. I believe there's a conversion for fate. Um, I think it would be harder to do in something like D&D, but I could definitely see like a Tomb of Horror style game where <laughs> you've got bodies sort of like lined up. Yeah. Right. So instead of other character sheets, um, you're essentially saying, okay, I, I my consciousness continues into a new body. Let's try the tomb again. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was created in 2009 by Posthuman Studios. And that was followed by a series of splat books that fleshed out different areas of the solar system and a whole bunch of new technologies and gear. And I think they kickstarted a second edition, mm-hmm. which uh, is supposed to have streamlined some of the rules that um, have gotten rather out of hand. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, and uh, that should be shipping like at the end of the year. One thing to note about Eclipse Phase is that all of the content is Creative Commons on a Creative Commons license, which means that fans are encouraged to share them with other people for free. Uh, the PDFs are available to download. You can, you're free to torrent them to other people if you want. And we're going to put a link in the show notes so that if you want, you can go download all of those and take a look. So let's kind of give an overview of the setting. Uh, first of all, it is pretty hard sci-fi. It's speculative, but pretty hard. So there's no like faster than light travel. Um, there's basically two things that exist that separate our reality from Eclipse Phase. And the first is the idea of resleeving, which is the concept of your mind can be fitted into other bodies. Yeah, they're separate entities. And actually in the Eclipse Phase game itself, in the rules, you have sort of two sets of stick of stats. One is your ego, your mind, which can move from body to body, and then your body has its own set of stats that get applied to your ego depending on which body it's in. That is one of the things that hopefully will be streamlined in second edition. Right, because that's where all the complexity comes <laughs> <Yeah>. from. <laughs> but part of the allure of the setting and one of the fundamental things that makes the setting possible in the first place is that bodies are just shells for your consciousness. So your consciousness can be copied, it can be backed up and sort of kept on cold storage and then reloaded if you die. You could just be a sapient computer program that spends all of your time in a virtual reality world, or you could have a copy made of yourself. You could be forked into multiple bodies and then all of you try to carry out different tasks simultaneously. And then there's also psychosurgery that lets you take those disparate identities and reunite them. But if you've been separate too long, then you end up being like different people and kind of going crazy. Yeah, it's the Thomas Riker problem. You know, you're split into two people and you've been the same person until now, but now you have different experiences. And does that other person have the same values as you now? And do they even want to be the same person again? I feel like you just spoiled a movie for me, but I'm not sure which franchise. Don't worry. It's only one episode of Star Trek. Okay. (laughs) Even better. You were never going to see it. Nope. (laughs) This means that death is a short-term obstacle. It's a different way to think about playing an RPG than most other settings. Really, the only way that you're going to die, like the only way that you're going to lose a character so that they're unplayable is insanity. Or being poor. It's supposed to yeah, cost right. a lot of money to, <laughs> to resleeve, right? It's almost free to just live as an infomorph and be an indentured servant. I guess that's true. <laughs> also, it's remarkably easy to make money in the system. so <laughs> Or just stuff, right? Because right. <laughs> that's the other thing, is the other bit of technology that makes this possible is the cornucopia machine. 
which is essentially replicators from Star Trek. Uh, they take base matter and then reform them into nearly any item that you want, sort of like an advanced 3D printer. Yeah, so you can use this to make like robots that help you or living organs to replace ones that you've perhaps lost in the course of adventuring. Yeah, you can just print a new brain right, and then put your consciousness into that brain. Yep. Uh, you can make spacecraft piece by piece, whatever food that you need. Or, say, heat missiles if you're in a pinch. And yeah, maybe. Really need to blow something up. <laughs> so many parts of the setting are post-scarcity. Um, the traditional economic models have been upended. So you're not out there looking for gold because gold doesn't really have any meaning when you could just make gold if you need it right okay so that's the technology but you said this was post-apocalyptic yeah and while this sounds terrifying it does not sound like an apocalypse so where does that come in well those were the technologies that were available before the fall that's which, a capital t capital f that's the fall. right and that sucked um the so the baseline setting happens 10 years after uh, most of humanity was nearly wiped out, uh, which means that any character you're playing remembers that it happened. So there's a whole bunch of essentially PTSD floating around within the system. Mm -hmm. So it's 10 years after the fall, uh, a cataclysm that saw rogue artificial intelligence called the Titans uh, reached the singularity, which means they became self-aware and capable of self-improvement. And then what did they do? But they pulled a Skynet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they waged a war against transhumanity. Uh, they used nuclear weapons, bioplagues. There were nanite swarms that were taking things apart on a molecular level. Yeah, they hacked all of our technology and our refrigerators mm -hmm. fought against us. Essentially, they, they spread uh, what they called the exurgent virus, which basically took over uh, any technological or biological organisms. Um, think of, what is that, that techno-organic virus that Cable is infected with in the X-Men? I missed that episode too. <laughs> believe it or not. That was a good episode. I believe it. It's probably an issue, right? I don't know in the comic book, but I remember in the cartoon show in the 90s, Cable comes back and he's got the virus and Bishop is like, oh, I got to kill him. Oh. Yeah. I watched that show, believe yeah. it or not. Well, you were like seven. I was. And I was. 17. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so which one of us was cool in high school? <laughs> Anyone who wasn't killed was captured and then forcibly uploaded. Their consciousness was copied over, the original body was killed, and nobody knows what happened to those people who are essentially being kept by the Titans for whatever nefarious purposes. Yeah, so then, uh, a year after this crisis emerges, right, humanity is losing the war and facing extinction, and the Titans just pack it up and leave. Nobody knows why, but there's like 6% of the population left and uh, many of them are just egos sitting in storage without a body to sleep into. Mm -hmm. The earth is an unlivable wasteland that's still haunted by those nanoswarms, techno-organic viruses, and the survivors have fled to the far reaches of the solar system. Like the Mars is like one of the main locations, right? Mm -hmm. So because no one knows why the, you know, the Titans left no one knows if they're going to come back so some people retreat into decadence yeah let's get slanesh into this <laughs> right you're functionally immortal uh you don't need money you don't need food you have whatever you want 
uh, and you can make as many copies of yourself and like virtual reality. You can make anything that you want and experience anything via programming it. Yeah, why not just sort of like fall into a drug-induced coma? Yeah, <laughs> hello, opium dead. <laughs> and if you overdose, you just reload from a backup. Right. <laughs> Uh, but there are other people who are just trying to survive by any means necessary, you know, off on their own asteroid and basically saying, I'm going to live alone. I hope nobody finds me. Yeah. And then there is the organization that the PCs are most likely to be affiliated with, Firewall. And they're um, basically this sort of shadow organization behind the scenes, cell base that is trying to find a way to arm up and prepare for Titan to return. Because the worst possibility would be for Titan to return and just finish the job. Yeah, the complete extinction of the human race. Uh, it's a bit like uh, Shadowrun, yeah. kind of, you know, the ops that you're pulling. Except that you're fighting for the good of humanity instead of fighting against corporate overlords for your own general. That's benefit. true. You can be fighting against cor- corporate overlords. But yeah, also there's no reason to like hack something to get a bunch of money because who needs money? Right, yeah. right. So one of the biggest reasons that people play Eclipse Phase in the first place is the body swapping and the augmentation that's commonplace in the setting. Technology is heavily integrated into any body that you're using. Yeah, everybody gets like embedded in their brains little like Wi-Fi signals mm-hmm. so that they can uh, connect to the mesh, which are the computer networks that sort of give you augmented reality and virtual reality and real-time communications. Right, like instead of party chatter or like I yell instructions, uh, around the table it's usually, oh, I, I text this to you. Right. <laughs> or we're sitting in our like simul space and, <laughs> and we have this conversation over brandy. <laughs> Almost every body, every physical body also has a device called a cortical stack at the base of the uh, neck, assuming you have a neck, that records all of your experiences down to the moment of death. So if an ally can retrieve that, once you die, you can be uploaded to a new body without losing any time since the last time that you were backed up. But (laughs) if your cortical stack were to fall into enemy hands, they could, say, interrogate and torture you for all eternity. Essentially, right? Like, if you're just data, they could make it so that you don't die. Right, right. right. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like playing kill confirm. Like you really want to pick up that dog tag, but you don't get credit for the kill. <laughs> uh, there are several basic types of morphs that you can sleeve into, and this is sort of like the shopping aspect of the game that a lot of people really love because you know body mo- it takes body modification to the far extreme. So there are biomorphs, which are, you know, biologically based bodies, typically like a heavily improved humanoid form. Like, for example, the Sylph, which is an impossibly beautiful person who has engineered pheromones to make people like them. Or the Olympian, who's just extremely athletic and very hardy. Yeah, you've got rusters who are the um, designed to survive on Mars. So they have a red skin tone. They require less oxygen. They're um, able to survive extreme temperatures. Uh, you've got bouncers, which are adapted to low-gravity situations for space living. They've got prehensile feet. They've got bonuses to floating in space. Then there's also pods, which are the cheaper biomorphs with uh, lots of like mass-produced cybernetic parts. 
Yeah, these are pretty customizable, which is mainly the only reason to get them because they're they're cheap and people sort of look down on them as something that poor people have. So basic. <laughs> right, like if you feel bad about having an old iPhone, yeah. Imagine having like an, an an early model body. Right. Yeah, if you if you lease your car because you need a new model every 3 or 4 years. <laughs> So an example of a pod is the Nova crab, which is like a genetically engineered crab with a body, a body the size of a human and then 10 six foot long legs, which is built for deep sea or microgravity environments. And melee. Yeah. <laughs> with all those attacks. <laughs> which is what you really care about. <laughs> then you've got synth morphs, which are fully robotic with no biological components. This is your character in Eclipse. My, my most recent character. Yes. Quinn. <laughs> was just a floating sphere of lithium. Because <laughs> remember, in eclipse phase, the mind is data. So there's there's no difference between being like a sapient computer program and having that consciousness uploaded into like a physical brain. So synth morphs have a what's called a cyber brain, which is just a robotic CPU that runs the program that is you. Uh, you can be uploaded into that and then out of it. So, you know, just because you are a synth morph or, you know, a quote unquote robot doesn't mean that you always were or always will be. Right. It's very uncomfortable for some people uh, because, you know, you, you can't really feel pain as well. Um, you don't need to eat or sleep. But some people find that really liberating. Yeah. And then depending on. Uh, the purpose of it, right? You might have a different form. So there's like the uh, the dragonfly, which is a small little flying robot with stealth. There's the reaper, which is a tank, basically. <laughs> like, well, it's a tank, but it's just shaped like a flying disc, right? <laughs> so it, it it has heavy weapons and like it changes shape and can like extrude arms and legs. Uh, Boar can just be a disc and turn sideways, so there's no profile to hit with your guns, right? <laughs> A lot of habitats ban those, so yeah, right. It's it's sort of like walking into town uh, with you know your great sword and heavy armor and like your uh, war horse with heavy barding. Right. People look at you and go, uh, "Is there a fight?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can be an infomorph, which which is just living data. Uh, you never get distracted because you're you know you're living fully in virtual reality, but you never have to go to the bathroom. You never have to eat. You never have to sleep. And you're essentially limited only by the hardware that you're running on. So you can explore the full limits of your the potential of your intelligence without being limited by, you know, slow plotting neurons. Then there are also uplifts who this are... Is, this is you. You are an uplift. Yeah, who are the genetically engineered animals. Uh, some of them are similar to previous forms. Other are like uh, chimeras, either human and animal or multiple animals. So there's things like neo-avians who are... Um, child-sized birds with large heads and prehensile feet and you know what's the point of having all that if you don't have opposable thumbs mm-hmm. they're octomorphs which are i mean they're basically just octopuses they got eight arms but they can breathe air and they can speak and they have uh smart chameleon skin and enhanced coordination mm-hmm. and you were a neo hominid i believe i was which is uh <laughs> which is an uplifted gorilla i was a russian space ape <laughs> Because there are lots of different languages that you can have. Right. And I chose Russian. <laughs> and then lastly, there are the flats, which are just unenhanced, quote unquote, normal humans. So I guess what Shane and I are, or what you, dear listener, are. Probably. 
you either have no or very limited uh, technological implants, and you've got to interface with mesh networks through like these this clunky external hardware that you have to touch or use hand motions. You're still susceptible to these archaic maladies like heart disease or cancer. And the only reason that these exist are they're typically used by what are called bioconservative factions, like the junta, the military junta that runs the Jovian Republic that controls Jupiter's gravity well. They don't like all this transhumanity stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can see why. (laughs) (laughs) So in a post-scarcity society, it is almost a little like Planescape. It is belief that really ends up being the most important commodity that you have. So the setting itself places a lot of emphasis on what faction you belong to. What What is it that means something to you? Of course, because people are still people. Uh, when everyone scattered from Earth, like-minded people sort of settled in enclaves in similar areas of the solar system. Yeah, so, so where you used to have, you know, nations and countries on Earth, you now have these sort of reorganized political and economic entities that have more of a unified belief system uh, uniting them rather than like a a physical geography. Mm -hmm. So the inner system, the inner part of the solar system is run by the Planetary Consortium, which is a group of hyper corporations that are essentially the remnants of the capitalism in overdrive of the old order. There are a lot of transhumans who actually just exist as indentured labor on the terraformed parts of Mars or on lunar habitats who work every day to pay off the cost of the body that they've been given by the hypercorp. It's so nice to be liberated from cold storage only to have to do menial labor. (laughs) And for some reason, the interest on the body (laughs) is higher than what they're earning each day. It never quite breaks even. (laughs) It's called usury. (laughs) So wealthier people throughout the system uh, visit Mars as tourists uh, because Mars is, like Shane mentioned earlier, one of the largest concentrations of people still in the solar system. There are those ruster morphs who live in rural areas of the planet. Uh, Most of them are Barsoomians who are sort of fighting against the hyper-corporations who control Mars. Yeah, Earth, as you mentioned, is an apocalyptic hellscape, but scanning indicates that there are up to 100,000 people that live somewhere, somehow, down there. Uh, because it's an apocalyptic hellscape, no one's really sure what that means. Right. What they might be like. Are they exurgent zombies? Are they, like, awful eldritch horrors? There's not really a way to find out because there's a cordon of lasers in orbit <laughs> that yeah. makes sure that nothing can leave. And then also that nothing can go down there. Right. And that's, like... <laughs> basically the end game for a lot of eclipse phase campaigns is i mean you go to earth when you're high level right Right, it's basically like the nine hells exactly (laughs) luna the moon is primarily banks and mining operations and of course because of its proximity it was the first stop for many uh, what are called infugees you know info refugees who were trying to escape earth when the titans were attacking and there are a group of people called Reclaimers who really want to try to take back the Earth from whatever is left of, of the Titans. But, you know, officially no one makes it off the planet, so they're not getting far. There's also the Morningstar constellation, which is a collection of, like, floating habitats in the atmosphere of Venus that is trying to resist being overtaken by the planetary consortium. Yeah, they're sort of uh, one of the only, like... Um, 
non-oligarchical factions in the inner system. Yeah, they're like, fight the planetary consortium, buy local. <laughs> Just Venusian. Right. <laughs> and then uh, they're also, in one of the sort of weirdest things that you can get in this in this setting, um, in the corona of the sun, there are space whales. Great. What is the setting without space whales? <laughs> Uplifted whales that uh, feed off the coronal energies of the sun. That's fantastic. Like, they fly through space. I'd prefer my space whales be someplace inaccessible. Yeah, that, right? Yeah, no one else is going to go there. They're mostly unmolested because it's tough to tough to hang out there. So then in the asteroid belt, you have the extropians who are sort of anarchist free marketeers they're uh libertarians of the world where you actually can be self-sufficient without relying on any sort of government or outside help in the moons of jupiter you've got the jovian republic which we mentioned before it's a military dictatorship that controls passage uh, around jupiter so they're bioconservatives they are one of the few vestiges of those old earth religions that you know believe in souls and things like that so they are totally against forking or resleeving they think the soul is destroyed which means that anyone who is in a morph that they weren't literally born into is some kind of awful technological abomination in their minds yeah they're supposed to be the bad guys of the setting but that's mostly because they try to keep players from having fun <laughs> yeah i mean that... <laughs> that's their more moral issue <laughs> yeah you you technically can play a bioconservative in a flat but then what are you even doing right. also you suck yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think like your ability score maxes are 20 when like everyone else's are 40 right <laughs> Then the outer planets are controlled by autonomists, which are you know, Scandinavians in space. Yeah. The Titanian Commonwealth on Saturn's moon guarantees that everybody gets a morph, regardless of their ability to pay. Citizens are required to serve three years in the civil service. It ends up being a haven for scientific research, which is one of the primary objectives of a group of scientists that call themselves the Argonauts. Uh, weird people thrive in the outer planets. You got a lot of anarchists, uh, a lot of hermits, because they can rely on things like matter fabrication and la labor drones. Yeah, then there's the ultimates who spend their time in uh, ascetic contemplation or, you know, doing a lot of genetic research. They're basically looking for ways to completely transcend humanity. Yeah, they're looking for human 2.0. Um, then there's the mercurials who aren't really interested in being human at all, um, and some never actually were um, a lot of them are sapient uh agis that's artificial general intelligence yeah to make a distinction between straight up artificial intelligence or seed ais which can turn into um new singularities which are destroyed on site by everybody right uh or they can be like uplifted animals mm -hmm. so if you if you started life as a gorilla for example and then were uplifted to human intelligence as my character in eclipse phase was <laughs> Yeah, I like one of the things I really like about the setting is that you can have, for example, two uplifted gorillas. One was born a gorilla and then uplifted, or born an uplifted gorilla, and the other is just someone who is currently living just in just passing through. Yeah, an <laughs> uplifted gorilla's body. Yeah. It was like, I lo yeah, I I love being really strong, and you know, I I kind of want to get on with another gorilla. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Get out of here, furry. <laughs> Um, and then uh, in my favorite name of any of the factions in the setting, there are scum. 
which basically just travel the system on cobbled together space barges that like filth and fun and hedonistic excess um and they're like uplifted plague rats (laughs) (laughs) essentially is like a favorite morph yeah because like it's it is uh, there's cachet among the scum to be gross right (laughs) they're they're the nurgle of the setup (laughs) also the chaotic neutral right the chaotic didn't notice (laughs) so when you are playing an eclipse phase game there are some themes that you're probably going to end up touching on first one is the hard science aspect Technology is integrated into everything, and it is extremely advanced. Yeah, so you have um, the Muse, which is an AI companion that takes care of all your menial tasks. Yeah, like everyone gets one. It's weird not to have one. You start with one. Yeah, it's kind of like a pet or a therapist or uh, a manservant or a personal assistant all rolled into one. Yeah, like it's it's like Siri, but if you could say Siri, upload yourself into that drone over there and like go do this thing, right, right, and also schedule literally everything for me. Oh, and let's like have a chat, right, so that I can get rid of the PTSD that I'm suffering right, right now. Yeah. Uh, there's also lots of smart materials, um, so and also lots of nanites. So that means most substances are capable of wireless integration with the mesh um clothes regular clothes can smartly stiffen to reduce impacts and and be armored you can have interface software that lets party members know their exact locations and how injured they are and uh if they're scared or not or what their mental state is yeah you have xp which in eclipse phase means experience play it's basically recordings not of video or audio but of the emotions and feelings and total experiences of other people which you can replay in your own head and essentially live what they lived so you you can actually like set that up in a in a tactical net so if you're running around with your party and your party member gets shot on the other side of a wall you can sort of get like a notification or like a buzzing in your side that's like oh okay they got shot oh and it's bad okay it's very I, bad. i'm gonna mute notifications on that thread <laughs> you get shot a lot yeah. so. <laughs> uh as we alluded to earlier simul spaces also exist uh that's like sort of a virtual reality area that's set up between your um cognizance that allows for time dilation um so you can have conversations around a campfire in the middle of combat um basically because your brain is working at the speed of light and combat is happening at the speed of combat. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what we do every single time is someone lugs around a portable server, we all, you know, fork into it mm-hmm. while while we're shooting things and we're just sort of watching the combat up on a, a screen. Right. Because, you know, in the virtual reality, it, all of the little rules about, you know, how the tech works are usually swept under the rug. It's just... It's a virtual reality space. It can look like anything that you want, mm-hmm. you know. So we are here, and now we're dressed like cowboys. Why not? Right. Well, I don't want to be dressed like a cowboy. I I, I want to be dressed like a doctor. Fine, you're a doctor, whatever. Right. You know. Um, but let's have this conversation, and like we can see the screen, and everything's moving in slow motion. Right. In fact, let's get off track. No, no, no. We we're actually we're about to get shot here. This is bad. Yeah. Well, maybe you should dodge. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, then you also have that existential horror of, hey, 
is this the only simul space we're in or are we actually fighting in another simul space <laughs> <laughs> or when we think we're not in a simul space are we actually in a simul right, space exactly yeah. <laughs> which segues into the next theme of the game which is in fact existential horror mm-hmm. people have had this conversation before you know what is the self if it if it can be so easily copied or forcibly changed because in this system you can capture someone's cortical stack and then perform psychosurgery on them right and make them think that you've always been friends right or or just absorb them into your ego yeah yeah i guess you could integrate them together that'd be tough and weird but totally doable but totally a bdeg move yeah <laughs> i eat everyone right <laughs> i'll show you the singularity exactly <laughs> Uh, and I think this is this is maybe an issue that you have had with the setting, I think. Uh, but the question naturally comes up, what is reality? It, it's the matrix taken to the extreme. Mm-hmm. If, one, if it can be anything that I want, if I can be in a simul space that feels completely real and I, can, I have total control over it and I can experience anything that I can program, one, why go out there? Because <laughs> it's awful out there. Right. <laughs> Uh, but also, how do I know that someone else isn't doing this? Right. And what if they're program- programming something that I don't want? Exactly. Um, and because that, because there are skills that allow for hacking of hardware and software, and there's psychosurgery that allows you to hack the brain, mm-hmm. like, yeah, how, how do you ever know, right? And, and as a GM, right, how at some point are you not pulling that card and being like, oh, well, it was all a dream. And it's like okay great like this is all just like a daydream in the mind of like a dolphin somewhere (laughs) like pre-fall who knows right like fantastic uh yeah it's always a possibility i mean if you think about it you could do that with a fancy setting as well right like oh it was all an illusion yeah i just uh, did that but there's a difference between like that being uh a central theme right is Mm -hmm. the theme of virtual reality and and what is real and what is self and that being totally off the off the wall of sort of the assumptions of the setting yeah you definitely need some buy-in from your players in order to play this setting because well when cameron first ran this uh, game for us for the very first time we had this entire session where like a bunch of stuff happened and then at the end of that session we woke up and it turned out it was a training training simulation or essentially like a, a training simulation slash test to see if we were actually loyal, mm-hmm. you know, because it was essentially beta forks of ourselves. Right. Secondary forks of ourselves conducting a mission, which were then reintegrated back into our consciousness. And now, oh, we remember I'm actually a, a person and this was a test. How did I do? Right. And then, of course, going forward from then on being like, just in the back of your mind, is this also a test? Exactly. So that that's for me has been one of the challenges of, of really engaging with the setting is like I don't ever really know and like I'm happy to be in a reality where I don't have to answer those questions. But there are some other cool things that you can do that are very essential to it. Um, fundamentally, firewall is sort of a shadowy cabal uh, working towards the greater good. So naturally, you are working in covert operations, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of Eclipse Phase games are effectively spy games. Yeah, and. I think one of the things people really like about James Bond or spy stuff is visiting Q, getting the crazy gadgets. Right. And Eclipse Phase is all about gadgets because you have the tech to do pretty much anything that you want to do. At the same time, though, like the tech is advanced enough where anyone who doesn't like what you're doing can just show up and nuke you. Right. And you're not you're not going to survive that. Uh, so it's always best to stay very quiet. Yep. 
And then there's also the, the constant threat of exurgents or Titan operatives who could be unrecognizable and blend into a crowd perfectly. It could be you. I mean, yeah, when you can hack someone's brain, sleeper agent could be anyone. Right. A big difference between playing an Eclipse Phase game and playing, I think, a lot of other recent RPGs, maybe not that different from OSRs, uh, is that everything is super deadly. Yep. There's definitely like this Tomb of Horrors feel because anything that you touch could harbor the exurgent infection. Actually, anything that you look at could harbor exurgent yeah, infection. Anything that you recognize. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a thing in the game called a basilisk hack, which is a visually transmitted mimetic virus that takes over your brain as soon as you look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's GM fiat because there's there aren't any rules for resisting it. If you look at it, you are now an NPC. Right. It's it's Tech Cthulhu. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. And then because you have resleeving and and backups and forks and all of that, you can naturally have deadlier combat, mm-hmm. right? Like normal PCs wouldn't take this risk, but like we jumped off the top of a tower shooting micro nuclear missiles all the way down and died when we landed. And it was fine cuz we respawned immediately in our ship and left. Right. We we hit a save point right before we did that. Exactly. Duh. Yeah. Like, back up, go, <laughs> great, move on. Yeah. Sometimes that heroic sacrifice becomes really pragmatic and not necessarily um, like the end game. You know, that might be your best option. Resleeve. Actually, let's resleeve into the combat morph. Right. You know, uh, we're going to do research. Okay. I'm going to resleeve into like the, the smart guy morph. Yep. Or, you know, you play these entire missions where. The characters themselves, or the the continuous consciousness that you are playing as, won't remember this session because the cortical stack isn't going to survive. And you know, maybe they can like watch it happen on a on a live stream. But maybe you then have to play a character that doesn't remember previous sessions that you, as a player, do remember. Right. And then I think the other theme that comes out in Eclipse Phase is the idea that ideals are important. Right. Um, Money is not important. Death is not important. So when you have life and property guaranteed, the only thing left in the triumvirate is liberty. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for a character, right? What is freedom in this setting? Right, and it's why the central struggle happening in Eclipse Phase games is between people who have different ideas of what liberty means or who should have it. Right. So it's anarchists on on the one side or like techno-progressivists who think all knowledge should be shared. Right, or like corpo-capitalists mm-hmm. or, you know, enemy nanoviruses. Right, horrible <laughs> eldritch AI right. <laughs> that is coming to steal everyone's heads. I think none of you should have it. <laughs> well, also, not super keen on the money or the life either. Right. <laughs> so it, there's almost two levels in an Eclipse Phase game or, or that you can play on. You can be having these uh, conflicts with other people who disagree about how much liberty or what kind of liberty people should be having. Or you play that firewall game, which is one level above that, which is they're much more concerned with what the game calls X risks, existential threats to the entire species. Such that it's still a single species. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's certainly other people who are like, you know, we should diversify the species. Right. Let's make humanity 2.0 and maybe the Titans can't take us out. Right. But. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if you are interested in this if we have piqued your 
fancy and and you're thinking of picking up eclipse phase uh what are some plot hooks that uh sort of typify the type of game typify the type of game how delightfully <laughs> redundant uh that demonstrate the type of game that's uh maybe possible with eclipse phase i really like playing up on the spy game aspects especially maybe in early sessions or with people who aren't that familiar with it but you can introduce uh, different aspects of the setting depending on the mission and the parameters. So you could be tasked with breaking into a hypercorps storage database to retrieve the ego of a computer scientist who initially was instrumental in creating the first Titans back on old Earth before the fall. You could have a PC who has an alpha fork. Yeah, in the first edition of the game, that's actually a like a merit that you can take you know you pay some character points mm-hmm. in order to get it an alpha fork is a, a, a perfect copy of you and it's just out there right it's a perfect copy of you so it's not under your control yeah it's like a doppelganger <laughs> and who knows when you split or maybe you do know exactly when you split mm-hmm. but what have they been doing since then right oh how have they been running down your name and reputation right and maybe they look like you maybe they don't look like you maybe they're an uplifted gorilla and they're just having a good time mm-hmm. I like the idea of the game that is essentially the first Resident Evil movie, which is, uh, you know, escape a space habitat that's controlled by a killer AI. Uh-huh. Maybe it's decided that you have the exurgent virus. Right. Hopefully it's wrong about that. Yeah, ideally. <laughs> <laughs> but no matter what, it's trying to lure you to the edges of the habitat so it can space you. Right. Or it's depleting the oxygen and, and some of you don't need to breathe, but some of you probably do. Uh, there's also definitely a space here for more of the militaristic kind of game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you could be um, leading a heavy assault on a Jovian outpost and you need to succeed at all costs uh, for some greater purpose. And uh, you probably want to bring some backup morphs for that. Yeah, I I like the idea that in this system you can just go all out with the combat gear and, you, you know, you, you bring a tank. You can literally bring a tank. Mm-hmm. The, a tank that can, can build more tanks. Tank. You can yeah. you can be the tank. Absolutely. You, <laughs> that was going to be my my next character if <laughs> if the lithium sphere didn't pan out. A tank with tank for tracks. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a tank uh, that can actually fit another person inside. So someone else could ride in me the tank. Yeah, <laughs> and then we'll b- both be protected. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then playing back on the espionage and, and spy game kind of theme, um, you can take it the opposite way, right? Which is you have exurgent moles within firewall that you need to root out. So uh, you need to figure out who it is. Are they perhaps the ones who are giving you instructions or is that a false flag and you need to find the true mole? Yeah. You can play spy Cthulhu and just mix all those genres together. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that we, well, I always say every game is actually just happening in Eclipse phase. Right. It's all so, just simul space. That's right. Eclipse phase. <laughs> I think one thing we didn't touch on is that there is there is this eldritch horror aspect of, of the game. Um, there are certain parts of it that sort of go a little further away from the hard sci into uh, a bit more sci-fi, sci-fantasy, where there you get a bit of like psychic powers and things like that, which are caused by different kinds of exurgent virus. You can, you can play a bit with those as a PC, but most of those options are sort of left to the GM as like a, 
GM fiat, right? right? Psi level one is something a player can do. Psi level two is tough, but a player can do it. Psi level three is I do whatever I want because I'm the GM. Right, right. So Shane, would you play in another Eclipse phase game? Uh, As I have said in the past, I would happily play in an Eclipse phase game if I didn't have to make a character, which is the only way I've ever played an Eclipse phase game. That's fair. Though I, I will say there is one thing for Eclipse Phase character creation. So the complication comes in with gearing out your body and all of these things, and there's lots of little ticky-tacky choices, which a lot of times I like, but this one is taking to 11. Um, the life path crea- character creation system mm. for Eclipse Phase is very cool um, until you get to that point where you have to kit out your body. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you can't avoid it. But the life path portion of character creation is actually really, really neat. Yeah, it's a little like Traveler where you know you roll things and you can die. Yep. <laughs> but, but in Eclipse, doesn't matter. It, right, exactly. It's just, oh, you died once. Yeah. That's something to think about. Right. Yeah. Um, again, what we've heard is second edition will be much more streamlined. But of course, you can play this not using those rules. What about an Eclipse phase game in Fate? Because Fate is it's so much easier to build a character. Uh, yeah, I always run into these things where you get these really hard settings and then you get these really soft rules. Uh-huh. And I, you know, so I, in some ways, I like to play them in the setting they were built for or in the system the setting was built for and that's fine i just don't want to build a character that's fair um i like very crunchy systems this one is even a bit too much for me i actually spent three weeks one time building an eclipse phase character well you're a masochist yes uh, as was my lithium sphere right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i i love the the setting itself um because I think there is a possibility that, you know, half of this actually comes true someday in the next few hundred years. I don't actually know. I don't think you'll be around for it. I'm hoping that we get to the longevity treatments and and uploading me to the cloud before all that happens. <laughs> I'm not. But I'm old. So <laughs> it's probably not much hope for me. <laughs> and I didn't start my own Silicon Valley Hypercorp, so. Whoops. Yet. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Is that the sound of the headhunter drones? All they need is your brain. Well, let's go to the character creation forge and find out what our next body will be. And maybe our next ego as well. But first, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us, if you can't fit it into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week on the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Gatecrasher. And if that's a term that you don't recognize, it's because we didn't get to that part of the setting? Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) to continue (laughs) explaining Eclipse Phase. Uh, It's another part of those uh, sort of like psi, fantasy, less hard psi aspects is that there are scattered throughout the solar system stable wormholes called Pandora Gates which were left by some kind of alien intelligence. Hopefully. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's the Titans. <laughs> uh. So they function a lot like Stargates, which, of course, Shane, you know exactly what a Stargate is. Right, because I watched uh, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It's it's exactly the same. It's it, from the titular episode, Battlestar Galactica, the Stargates. 
you step into the Cylon and you're instantly transported to an extrasolar location or alien worlds. Yep. Something something Starbuck. <laughs> you you step into this black sphere of energy, essentially. So, you know, instead of a silvery pool like a Stargate, it's a black sphere. Uh, some of the worlds that you end up at are inhabited, though none of them by intelligent life. And that's one of the mysteries of the setting is that there has been intelligent life at some of these locations. Mm-hmm. What happened to it? Yeah, because every single one is dead. Right. And we're not sure why. So, you know, you open a gate, you like activate a gate, the gate crasher team runs in, gets intel, gathers Xeno artifacts as quickly as they can, and then gets out. Right. So they're built for strong defenses, great longevity, and of course, speed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're not really focused on trying to dish out a ton of damage here. We just basically want to duck and cover. Right. So what's the build? Thief Rogue 13, Devotion Paladin 6, Ranger 1. Okay, so the rogue package is going to get us four expertises, cunning action. Yeah, which means you can be super fast. Uncanny dodge and evasion, which gives you a good damage mitigation. Mm -hmm. Also, you get fast hands, and uh, that's a bonus action to use an object or uh, sleight of hands or use thieves' tools. Yeah, you never know what you're going to encounter, um, and lots of times you need to pack in a bunch of gear just to be sure, and it's nice that you can use it as a bonus action. Yep, and then climbing won't cost you extra movement, and you'll have an increased jump distance. Because who knows what the terrain is going to be like over there, because you can't see on the other side of a Pandora gate. Right. And then you also have reliable talent, so the most important things (laughs) you will not roll less than a 10 on. Yeah, which that combined with being able to climb at full full speed essentially gives you a climb speed. Right. Right, if you're taking a minimum like roll of an 11 on a climb check, you can probably scramble over almost anything. And then a nice capstone for this build is that at Rogue 13, you get Use Magic Device. Which means you are no longer intimidated by the Xeno technology. That's right. <laughs> Was this only usable by strange alien creatures? I don't care about that. Which I can use it. Strange alien creatures <laughs> and me. <laughs> so Paladin is going to get you Shields. Shields are great. Yep. Because Shields are very... They're much cheaper than uh, Magic Armor. So a plus three shield is actually within your grasp much easier than the plus three armor. Right. Uh, You'll also get martial weapons, so that's of less value to you. You can take defensive fighting style, which gives you a bonus to AC, and you'll also have immunity to disease, which is super helpful in foreign terrain. You have no idea what kind of crazy weird diseases you're going to find out there. Uh, Who cares? And if any of your companions, probably the nerds that you're uh, having to bring in with you, have any trouble with those diseases or general atmospheric effects or dangerous things trying to eat you, you've got lay on hands. Although remember, you were also the nerd. Four expertise, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get that sweet, sweet saving throw bonus. And you've got some really nice oath spells. Protection from evil, which I would lobby with your GM to say is going to protect you from the exurgent virus or at least being taken over by a basilisk hack. That's... (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But sanctuary is another spell you get. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, I mean, if you're basically like turning on the gate and then running in, cast sanctuary first. Right. And then don't attack anything. Right. And then you're... uh... 
Your last level in this 20 level build is Ranger, which of course gives you Natural Explorer. So you will never get lost and you will be able to track uh, even in these strange alien worlds. Yeah, a typical piece of technology that gate crashing teams take with them is a portable satellite that they sort of shoot into the atmosphere as soon as they get on the other side, which disperses and covers an entire hemisphere and then basically gives you GPS of, of most of the planet. Um the ranger's similar i guess yeah. maybe not the whole planet but you ain't gonna get lost right so this gives you a relatively combat capable character you've got all martial weapons great defenses you've got sneak attack and smites to boost your damage output yeah in terms of leveling i'd say start at least rogue one to get as many skills as you can mm-hmm and then probably Ranger 1 because that tracking is great and you don't have to think about it again. Yep. I, then it's kind of a pick em, right? I mean, yeah. you want to take five, you want to get to level 5 of either Paladin or Rogue. Or maybe 6 Paladin because we don't really care about extra attack. Yeah. So you can finish off Paladin at any time because you really want that aura. But Rogue just has so many goodies, you can pick them up whenever you want. Yeah. What I might do is once I start Paladin, go straight through 6 levels. Yeah. Get to that and then finish off your rogue yep all right so shane who is your gate crasher so my gate crasher is a thief but a thief of a very particular kind of good he only steals from wizards in their towers oh okay uh which is as far as i can tell the strangest thing to be uh, specialized in crashing <laughs> the the oddest arcane gate if you will um but yeah so his his whole uh ability and skill set and, and everything that he is trained for and developed is all around mitigating what a wizard could do to him so he has benefits to his saving throws he has evasion and uncanny dodge all of the ways to kind of avoid wizard spells and those sort of booby traps mm-hmm. you try to control my mind i'm fine you right. try to shoot me with lightning i'm fine right um and yeah so his interest is um, probably something more along the lines of magic is dangerous and the wrong hands and that type of power is corrupting and corrupt people oh. should not have access to all of these powerful items i will keep them safe uh, they belong <laughs> in a museum <laughs> my museum my museum inside my <laughs> handy haversack <laughs> uh how about your gate crasher well first off my gate crasher is a gnome because Man, they get good good saving throw bonuses. <laughs> they do, yeah. <laughs> also, no one ever sees them coming. Yeah. <laughs> what? And I'm sure speaking with beasts is helpful at some point. Mm, sure. No one's going to see Yeah, no one's going to expect that. Spies. Yeah, all spies. Actually. So, okay, so my gate crasher is an actual gate crasher. The ninth level spell, gate. Oh. Which opens a portal between one plane and another plane. Okay. So... I think my gatecrasher is the head of a team who works with a high-level wizard who opens up a gate to uh, a dangerous part of the multiverse. And it only lasts for a minute. So the team needs to get ready, buff themselves. The gate opens, rush Run in. That's right. Grab whatever you can and get <laughs> As it. As much intel as possible, rescue the hostage, or make a map very quickly, or steal something, or leave something. Right. Uh, and then get out. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Their job is 
survive and run run as quickly as possible i i love it that sounds like a really fun campaign all right so before we wrap up uh want to give an update on patreon and thank all of our patreon supporters uh for helping to make the show possible your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show every single week and we are getting awful close to our next reward tier i think we're probably like one patron away from hitting $200, which will be the Character Creation Forge Codex. So if you want to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And incidentally, we are also uh, tantalizingly close to having t-shirts ready for everyone who's backed us at $10 for the t-shirt club. Oh yeah, we're going to get in touch with you and ask for sizes, actually. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, falling a little <laughs> bit behind on that, that, but we're trying to get that right. <laughs> So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about resource management. And in the character creation forge? We're building the pacemaker. Get it? Because we're talking about pacing. Ah. 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 Well, that's it for episode 113 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.